This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you as always. Uh, so the news story of the day, I suppose, or at least it was over the course of the weekend, is twofold. You have, on the one hand, Trump's treatment of the media, which, of course, I, I, start, to think, I start to think more and more that this is something that uh, I'm reporting on more than I should. But then I think, well, wait, why is this always the story? Why is this always something that seems like it's at the forefront of the news cycle? And of course, the answer to that is that this is the media deciding that what happens to them is the most important thing in the world. There is an egocentrism in the news media business, just as there is. And as we saw with the Oscars... Oh, yeah, the Oscars. So that's nothing new. That's not surprising, I'm sure, to any of you, that the fact that the press views itself as so integral to this country is the reason that we have so many news stories about Trump's uh, treatment of the press. And in fact, I saw some very interesting exchanges over the weekend on social media where people seem to think, they seem to be of the impression that... Donald Trump is constitutionally bound or his advisors are constitutionally bound to give access. Now, I understand that in in the spirit of transparency and in the spirit of openness and a free press, certainly the White House should and does give a lot of time and uh, access to reporters. But there was this big dust up over the weekend because on Friday there was a press gaggle that excluded some news sources, allowed a whole lot of other news sources in, but it excluded a few news sources. And yet there was uh, all of this, the First Amendment is in jeopardy stuff. And you had Chuck Todd with uh, this over the weekend. Heard the president right now, at least in the eyes of his supporters, are the reported ties he and his aides may or may uh, not have with Russia. And whenever stories break on that subject, Press bashing, which is always part of the president's arsenal, 
seems to escalate. I'm against the people that make up stories and make up sources. It's a tactic with a pattern. The president's attacks on the media repeatedly have directly followed reporting on Russia. On January 5th, NBC... Now, could this be... Let's just take a moment and step back from this. Could this be a function of the fact that the president believes, really does believe, that the Russia story gets much more attention from the media than it deserves because it is damaging to him? I understand that what we're supposed to take from this Chuck Todd piece here and I, I think that Chuck Todd's career gives us all hope because if Chuck Todd can be elevated as uh, an elite member of the media with his own uh, news show on, on Sunday mornings, uh, anybody can. So that's nice. But what is the basis of his report here or, or what is he really trying to get to with this reporting that every time there's something about Russia... Uh, the the president attacks the press. Clearly, the implication is supposed to be, well, this is what Trump does to divert away from all of that truth uh, with regard to Russia that's constantly being told. That's that's what we're supposed to take from this, and that Trump is playing dirty on this issue. He's playing dirty with regard to the news stories about Russia because there's accuracy in all of it and he just needs to do anything he can to keep us away from it but isn't it also possible i would just offer to you as an alternate theory here isn't it also possible that maybe trump responds that way when the media starts talking about russia because he thinks that it's rubbish it's nonsense i still have yet to hear a plausible theory as to why it is that Anybody believes that Russia would have so much influence over Donald Trump, uh, someone who I think it's hard for those around him to have. Maybe his top advisors can, but uh, people that have known him for long periods of time have all remarked the fact that he is unpredictable, um, that he is mercurial, that he changes his mind often. And it's one thing for him to be favorably disposed toward Russia. It's another thing to suggest that he is um, he is someone who would sell out his country on behalf of Russia. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's, I think, where the diversion, or the, the divergence, I should say. <laughs> diversion is what they think Trump is doing. Divergence is what I see happening here between my opinion and theirs. And you also have these stories about Sean Spicer uh, forcing staffers to give their cell phones up as a means of checking on leaks. Now, is that because Sean Spicer is a totalitarian at heart and just a puppet of Trump? Eh, maybe you think he is. but Or is it because there are a lot of leaks coming from this administration, a lot of very damaging, very destructive leaks? You know, That's what you really have to look at here. And that, that's what, what really comes to the forefront. What is the truth of the story that they tell? When Trump says that there are, doing fake news or they are fake news and then you see how they report on these various news stories i think you'd have to assume to yourself well hold on a second here uh maybe they're telling something truthfully but they're using it to draw a conclusion that is false or maybe they're telling something that is rooted in fact but they are positioning in such a way that 
you take a, you take a conclusion from it that is not accurate. And if that's the case, well, then why can't we say it's fake news? These news outlets really do believe that they are doing, I wouldn't say God's work, I think a lot of them probably don't believe in God, but that they are doing the right thing by trying to destroy the administration and everybody involved in it at the senior ranks, and that they can think that and at the same time also believe that their coverage is not influenced, that they are not somehow uh, now partisans of a very particular cause, that's where I think a lot of people just depart from them. That's where you have this, wait a second, if you are so uh, incapable of being honest with yourself, if you're so incapable of uh, looking yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, I'm here to destroy the Trump administration, whatever that means, if instead you want to hide behind, oh, the First Amendment means that I should just be antagonistic to the administration... This one, not the last one, of course. And, oh, we don't take sides. We don't. This is just honest people see this and say to themselves, this is nonsense. Honest people look at these news stories and they come away with the conclusion that the press is in the tank for one side and that they cannot trust the media and that there are real problems here. So. Um, I look at all this and I say to myself, we, we talk so much about Trump and his fighting with the press, including the press talking about it, of course, as we see here. But there are reasons for this. And I don't think it's just, well, they're saying now, or at least that Chuck Todd piece is saying that it's to detract for, um, it's to detract from his criticism, the criticisms over Russia. And that's one way I suppose we could go. Um, but I also want to point out that they, hate this president already, and they're attacking him, and he attacks back, and I like it when he lays it down. I, I hate this pretense that the media is objective and fair and honest uh, and doesn't have a political inclination one way or the other. I hate it. I just hate it. It's so unfair. It's not true. It's a lie, and I don't like liars. I have a problem with that. So I see all of this uh, very differently, clearly, than the mainstream sees this. Uh, I see this as um, an instance of Trump pushing back against a very clear, concerted effort to destroy him. And we'll see how that continues on this week. Uh, they, they've got to get on some, they've got to get some policy agenda items out there, and they've got to have some movement. Otherwise, you're going to have people like uh, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world saying more and more of, uh, the following. Let's bring in the Democratic leader of the House right now, Nancy Pelosi. Thank you for joining Great. us this morning. My pleasure. So you heard Sarah Sanders right there talk about this idea of a special committee looking into the Russia ties with the Trump campaign. Also, uh, pretty much saying that there will not be any recusal, at least for now, from the Attorney General. Your response? Well, it's as you read the law and saw the law, the, the Attorney General must recuse himself. But let's just take it back a step. You have seen a flurry of activities that are completely inappropriate, encouraging lawmakers, encouraging uh, intelligence officials to say that something is one way or another. Let's have the investigation and find out the truth. And we've been calling, we have 100 now plus one Republican on Eric Swalwell's bill for an outside independent commission to study the personal, political, and financial relationship between President Trump 
and the Russians. So far, these efforts have been quashed by the Republican leadership right. in the House, and you're getting some pressure from Democrats uh, to go farther. Michael Moore put out a tweet this week. He said, tell your senator... Can we just be very upfront about the fact that these investigations... They're not going to wait for them to finish before they decide what the conclusions already are. The Democrats are going to say, they're going to take the position that Donald Trump is, uh, has been uh, colluding with Russia in certainly an unethical and, uh, if not outright, illegal fashion. They're going to be putting that out there as, this is just a big version of, you know, well, I'm just asking questions. When, when did Trump stop beating his wife? So the Russia investigation will turn into that. I'm not saying that we can't do a Russia investigation. I think at this point it seems inevitable. You ha- it's already happening, and you have Republicans, including the John McCains of the world, who like to take the position that you know, whatever they can do to stand athwart Trump's ambitions, even if it is doing the bidding and the work of the left, he's, he's, happy, to, he's happy to help out with that. I don't know. Why it is that John McCain can't see... I, well, I, I shouldn't say that. He, he knows. He just doesn't care. Uh, John McCain does what is best for John McCain's ego and the perception of him at any given time in politics. And this is where I have to say, I know his country, he served very honorably. I'm talking about his politics today. And I don't have to agree with everything someone says or everything someone does because of their honorable service to their country during the Vietnam War. Uh, all right, so... Uh, you've got Pelosi saying that the investigation has to happen. Of course, Stephanopoulos loving every minute of it. And then there's more. Senators and House members now, you want them to cease all business till they appoint a special committee on Trump and the Russians. He gave the phone number there uh, as well. Are you ready to go that far? Well, let me just say there is no business. Let me just let's put this in time. You did at the beginning of the show in a couple of days, it'll be 40 days. 40 days, 40 hours, 40 days, 40 years in the desert. 40 is fraught with meaning and symbolism. When okay, pre- what, what, is, what is Pelosi, you know, she's really, what, what was that whole 40, you know, 40 under 40, 40 something or other, drinking a 40 of old English? I mean, what was that all about? President Obama was, not, was sworn in on the steps of the Capitol. He, said, I, he asked for swift, bold action now for jobs and education for the 21st century, a list and agenda. One week and one day from that swearing in, the House passed the ARA, the American Recovery and Reinvestment right. Obama, 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 Obama. As right. it is called the first speech. Uh, he could say, this is what I asked for. This is what we've done. On, on Tuesday night, I yeah. uh, would not say that the president can guarantee. No, he can't guarantee because you know what? This, the Republicans have been banging at the moon for seven years. In March, it will be seven years since the president signed the bill. They've been banging at the moon that they had a better idea. They've come up with nothing. They say. So she's saying they've got nothing. Trump has done nothing. And, uh, you know, there have been all kinds of opportunities to them, and they've, they've come up with nothing so far. Um, uh, okay, a few things here. First of all, there's a part of me that is particularly annoyed with this because I do think that a Republican opposition that was so bold when they couldn't get anything through, so clear in the uh, unity of their obstructing Obama's agenda— um, which I don't say that as a criticism. I think it's. A, I think obstructing Obama's agenda was a good thing. Uh, they were doing it legitimately through the through the legislative process, and there were two years where they really couldn't obstruct his agenda. And Obama got through the what was it a stimulus bill, and and that's that's what Pelosi's recounting here for us. But Republicans have got to get some stuff done here. They've got to make some things 
happen. It's not going to be enough to have Trump swatting down the media if the Congress does not put forward and sign into law bills, policies, does not make it happen. And there's nothing for the Trump supporters to point to and say, see, that makes things better. Uh, Whether you are in favor of the immigration executive order that banned travel from seven terror-prone or terror-infested countries, uh, the fact of the matter is that that's not going to put food on the table. That's not going to... You can discuss whether it's a good national security measure, but we need things to happen here that will have a real impact on the day-to-day lives of Americans because Trump's not going to be able to keep up with this fighting back against the media thing forever if there's no substance uh, to his presidency. And I'm not saying we're already there, but I'm saying I'm worried. And clearly the Democrats know this is becoming a vulnerability. So, all right, team, I'm going to hit a break here. We'll be back uh, right after. Stay with me. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Two thousand seventeen is gonna be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you, of course, as always. And uh, 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. Uh, If you want to call in, it would be great to talk to you about uh, whatever's on your mind. Um, I'm not somebody who usually uh, speaks about, and I know we could talk a lot about the Oscars, but, you know, I don't know. If you want to hear more Oscar stuff, maybe we'll do some uh, tonight on the night show, 6 to 9 Eastern on Premier Radio Network. Um, that, that's, I think, the best place uh, for us to get into some of that, if there's really, if, if we feel there's a need. Because um, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of stuff about the Oscars all, all day today. Um, but I, I don't usually get uh, involved with, look, when something happens in the life of a celebrity, I don't know the celebrity almost always. And so it's not something I spend much time uh, thinking about or, or involved in. But of course, if it's a sad thing, I feel for any human being and I feel uh, for their family. Um, but I have to say, you know, Bill Paxton passed away on Saturday and this is one of those times where I, I sat I sat back and I thought, you know, I don't know this guy, but I have, and it's very sad. He died uh, pretty pretty young. Uh, I don't know him, but I feel like I spent so much time 
with this guy in my life in some capacity. And it really is a, a credit to, or, you know, he was a credit to the arts, but it also was a moment where I had to stop and think, you know, I felt like I, know, I knew him in, in, the, in the sense that I watched so many of his movies, Aliens, True Lies, uh, I, I can't even name them all off the top of my head, Twister, uh, Titanic. I mean, you go through all these movies, particularly Aliens for me, though. And it's one of those times where you, you feel like you've spent some time with somebody because they've, you've seen them, you've heard them. And, and especially when you're a kid, I think that that has a real, a real influence on your, on your thinking about um, you know, somebody's body of work, right? When somebody is entertaining you when you're a kid and you feel, you know, I, I mean, I love the movie Aliens when I was growing up. I thought that was an absolute classic. And I still think it's a great movie. James Cameron's Aliens. Uh, but you know, you see this guy and, and uh, he passed away. It's very sad. Um, and I was just thinking about, wow, it's, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't particularly old uh, at all. And I think he was maybe 62 or 63. He was young. And this is, uh, and he was apparently also by all accounts, a really nice guy. And uh, that I think came across in his work. He seemed, even when he wasn't playing the nicest guy in his part, you just got the sense that he was a nice guy. Um, but I just wanted to offer up to all of you that uh, it was a little reminder, you know, to me. One that uh, the arts and and what you do in creative fields can have real, you know, real effect on people, and and you can feel like you're connected to somebody through their work. Uh, but also, uh, we all don't have that much time. I, I think that everyone would have assumed Bill Paxton had many, many, many years left. Uh, so. You know, may he rest in peace, uh, prayers and blessings to his family, and uh, yeah, I just want to mention that a little bit, and we'll get back into the new cycle team right after this break. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. I know we spoke a bit last week about the transgender guidance that the Obama administration put in place for schools. Um, Now, it's guidance. It's not legally binding. But to be sure, it is uh, part of this much larger narrative now about how the last uh, real civil rights struggle, at least that I'm aware of, or at least until the left comes up with a new one uh, is transgender rights and this is where they have finally devolved into incoherence you have title nine being used which title nine exists to prevent or started out to exist uh, uh, to prevent sex discrimination and now title nine is being used largely to say that there's no difference between men and women which is problematic for all kinds of obvious reasons, or rather the difference is either subjective or there's a series of steps one must take, but that's all very subject to interpretation. And I know that this debate very quickly turns into a lot of things that have nothing to do with everyday life. Uh, This is now the left wanting people to bend the knee, to prostrate themselves before the progressive, uh, the progressive 
state god, if you will, and try to find some way to use this, of course, to also batter their enemies with it. You know, if you don't support this, you are a bad person, you're evil, you don't care about transgender individuals, you know, you're just not, you're not somebody who should be accepted into a contemporary American society. You have to support transgender rights. The bile that people will will spew on this is unbelievable. I mean, the nastiness that you will see from people is is completely insane. Uh, if you say that you're not for transgender rights, people will treat you as though you have said that uh, individuals of one group are are subhuman, or you know, you, you, they'll, they'll treat you as though you're the most vile racist or bigot. And and yet their arguments all fall apart when you begin to, well, when you just look at them, when you understand what's being said. Instead of making this just another philosophical discussion, I wanted to take it down to a specific case study. Uh, so Texas, this is in the Wall Street Journal. Texas has rules on transgender high school athletes, and that is drawing criticism now. Here's what we know. There's Mac Beggs in the Dallas area of Texas, who is a star wrestler at Trinity High School near Fort Worth. And Mac has beaten all 54 opponents faced. Each one of them is a girl. So Mac has beaten 54 female opponents. Now, my, when I first read this, because the New York Times, I'm sorry, the Wall Street Journal, although here it reads like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal refers to Mac Beggs as he. And you have to read down a little bit to see that Mac was born female. So Mac is a she. Mac isn't a he. Mac is a she. And we can call we can call him Mac. I'm sorry. See, this is, this is what ends up happening. We can call her Mac. We can call her anything and any I mean, whatever name he chooses to be called is fine. But it's a he. It's not a she. And that's a place that I'm just not I'm not willing to concede because it's not true. I'm 35 years old. I, I'm I'm not 15 and I'm not 65. And what you see is when you start to bend objective reality, then there are real consequences to these decisions. Uh, you know, why can't I just be my mental age? Why do I have to be? I mean, if you told me when I was 17 that if I thought I was 21, I could drink legally, uh, I would have been telling everybody I felt like I was 21, you know, and that wouldn't be acceptable. Now, uh, people will say that this is very deeply held and look at the steps they go through and you know, there are uh, there are conditions where people feel that they should not have a certain body part. I've told you about this before. They want a limb to be removed, they, and, it, and it really bothers them. They want their arm to be amputated. It is a real scientific condition, um, and that we all recognize is not something that a, a reputable uh, a doctor— an ethical doctor would not say, oh, your healthy arm, you don't want it. I'm just going to cut it. I'll help you cut it off. No, that's not how it works. So there are conditions out there that an individual can very deeply. I mean, there are, you know, I've, I've read about people that think that they're running, they're driving a car and they have a, a, fer, a version of obsessive compulsive disorder. And they think that they've always run somebody over, but nobody can ever find the person they've run over but they think they might have run somebody over. So you know, maybe they need to call the police and they need to look for whether somebody was run over. The answer to that problem is not we need to trail anybody with that level of obsessive compulsive disorder and 
see if we can help them find the phantom pedestrians that they're running over. The answer is to have them seek cognitive behavioral therapy and perhaps get on some medication to help control that. That's the, that's the ethical, moral answer. That's not to say that somebody who believes that is not a good person, somebody who believes that should be shunned, somebody who, not at all. Uh, you know, we all have our demons and we all have different levels of uh, emotional issues that we have to handle. Some people do it very well and it feels like they never, you know, nothing really, but they, they, we all have an internal struggle here or there. And for some of us, it's genetic and it can be even harder and you need outside assistance. It's not enough to just have a supportive uh, family and pray and go to church. Maybe you need you need psychotherapy or you need to be on a drug that will help control the biochemical processes in the brain that make somebody uh, have anxiety attacks or whatever the case may be. I digress. Point here being that, uh, okay, he or she, they write about Mac Beggs, this Wall Street Journal piece, and refer to her as a he. Okay, so if I mess up the pronouns, it's just because it's hard to keep it straight in my head. So Mac was born a female, transitioning to male. And so at first when I read this, I think to myself, well, here's somebody who is a male who is wrestling females. And if that were the case, my immediate reaction is this is just completely preposterous. Uh, I, I am not. I, I was a good athlete in high school. I rode in college. Um, I have never met a female my age. Certainly, you know, when I was a teenager or college age, that would beat me in a wrestling match. Never. There, there might be like five women in the country who are my age who would beat me in a wrestling match, who were about my size, and because the male male physiology is different than female physiology. We have. Uh, higher muscle. I mean, you know, we get into all that, right? People go, oh, look, you're a scientist. Do we have to be a scientist now to know anything? Is, is this the new rule? We have to be a scientist to know anything about the world around us? Uh, I love when the left pulls that stuff out. <laughs> so few of them are scientists that make these arguments. Uh, but sometimes it's not anecdotal. Sometimes anecdotal can be so overwhelming, it's obviously true. Okay, so back on to the, the, uh, the heart of the matter here. So the 17-year-old is wrestling. She's a fe- born female is wrestling all these girls and winning. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what's the problem? If Mac wants to be called Mac, I don't know what her name was before this. If Mac wants to be called Mac and dress like a boy, her call. But there's more. Mac takes testosterone because Mac is trying to transition. And this is another question that I have. And by the way, I have reached out. I've had the team. I've had producer Amy reach out to uh, numerous uh, people who are MDs, PhDs in the field to see if they'll talk to me about this process so I can understand it. Because I, I want to learn more about it because I want to know I want to know what is scientifically possible. I do know that you can never be a, you can never change down at the cellular level, male or female. But I, I want to know what kind of changes, are these really just cosmetic changes? Because now we're, we're saying that a, a female is just a question of uh, having you know, fake or, or real, but in hormone-induced fatty tissue in the chest area. And I mean, you know, you get into the specific, and it's a little, as a guy, you start to think about the things that might go on here to, to transition. You're like, oh, that's a, that, that doesn't seem healthy or normal to me at all for anyone. But we're talking about 
athletic competition here and testosterone is why men are stronger than women because of our testosterone level in the aggregate. I know someone's going to send me a, oh, Ronda Rousey, you can kick your butt. Okay. You know, if, if we're going to constantly base policy on the extreme example and look, you know, the other side of this is in a, in a wrestling match, even Ronda Rousey with all of her skills in, in tradition, I'm not talking about jujitsu with punching and kicking in a wrestling match. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be I think it'd be a closer wrestling match than some of my uh, critics in the past on these kinds of issues uh, would would realize. You know, um, I'm a male, uh, about 185 pounds. You know, I max bench 240 in my prime. Uh, whatever. You know, but it's gonna be tough for a woman to to deal with that. And I'm not even some like big strong. You know, I'm not like some seal or something. I'm just a normal guy. But point being, uh, that is. Um, where where immediately people want to go, they want to find an outlier example, and you know they want to say, well, there's one woman who can pass, uh, you know, Navy SEAL training. Therefore, we should open up uh, the all the stuff to women. And I'm like, yeah, open it up. If they can, comp- any woman who can do what a Navy SEAL does through that training without any changes whatsoever in the selection process, God bless, patriot hero, go for it. But that's not. They always say, "Well, what, look at this woman; she can do it." And they, there's all this politics behind it, and they say, "Well, we're going to change the standards a little bit, though, because you know we need to change the standards because the standards aren't fair. Why aren't the standards fair?" Anyway, you see where all this is going. So there's this this Mac, uh, the student named Mac, takes testosterone and is annihilating all of these girls in wrestling matches. And, and you look at this now, and you say to yourself, "Okay, it's similar to taking human growth hormone." Why is this okay? Why are we supposed to celebrate this? Why are we supposed to think that this is fair? And some of the women or young, yeah, they're young. I mean, look, if you're 17, you're a young woman, right? I mean, you're almost almost a full, fully functional, legally speaking, adult. So these are young women, and they, or you know, <laughs> late late adolescent women, soon to be young women, and they don't want to wrestle someone who's taking. What is what it is a performance enhancing drug. So now we're sacrificing competition to this politically correct idea that someone can transition to being male. What does that transition even end up looking like? I don't I don't mean physically looking like all of that, I, I suppose, is part of it. But what what are the what's the end stage? I mean, you can't a woman cannot become a man and create the stuff that men create to make babies. So that's never going to happen. So what is the. What is the purpose? I, I, I'm lacking in understanding. And maybe there are some things that I need to know more about here. And I'm open to that, too. I'm not going to change that a man can become a woman, a woman can become a man, but I'm not an expert on the transition process at all. Not an MD. Although I am really sick of going into doctor's offices and knowing shockingly more on the spot than some of the doctors about things that they should know about. And I'm always like, so so you are you went to med school for four years and then specialized for a few years after that and did your residency and everything. And I'm explaining certain things to you. You can imagine some doctors don't really like dealing with me. But anyway, uh, I read I, I read a lot. I read a lot. And I, I'm not constantly trying to uh, you know, run off to the golf course or go to the Caribbean for the weekend, uh, as some of the specialists that I've come across here in New York City do. All right. So uh, this is a very heated issue now because, of course, People don't want to believe that if you're transitioning, you should be excluded from anything. But if you're taking what would be a banned performance enhancing drug for any other situation, it would seem to me that 
that would disqualify you from competition. Yet here we are, once again, in a specific example, being told that this uh, transgender athlete should be allowed to take a performance. You know, it's it's a woman. It's a uh, whatever. It's a girl wrestling girls, but she's taking testosterone. Of course, that's not okay. Of course, that's an unfair advantage. But people are saying, well, she's transitioning, so we don't want to exclude her. I'm just, I'm sick of this. No, that's not how it works. All right? Fair, the fair, fair. This is, fair is fair. This is also like the, uh, you know, we're going to make women change in a restroom with men because we don't want the men to, we don't want the man to feel like he's not fully accepted as a transgender female. It's like, what about the women? Ugh. This issue. So much nonsense around it. All right, team, we got to go into a break. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, welcome back. Uh, I went long in the last segment, so we're just going to do our sponsor for this hour. It's silencershop.com. You've heard me say it before. It is every bit as true now as it was then, my friends. Silencershop.com is simply the best place to go for a silencer for your firearm. Having a silencer makes the whole shooting experience more enjoyable. You don't have to worry as much about hearing protection, and you'll see the best selection. The prices are great. Silentershop.com is where you want to go. They can help you with all of the different parts of the process, the paperwork. They'll make sure that that all gets done. And then once you are cleared and good to go, you'll be able to go out to the range. You'll be the envy of all your friends, and silencers are just awesome to have. They really should be commonplace in a way that I don't think – uh, anybody who hasn't been with one realizes yet. I mean, this should just be, it should be standard issue for a lot of different reasons. All right. Silencershop.com is the place to go. Silencershop.com help make the world a quieter place. And uh, second hour, I want to talk to you a bit about immigration, a topic I always like talking to you about. And then we're going to move on into some other things as well. 888-900-3393. Also, by the way, if you have not already, please subscribe to The Night Show, which is my syndicated uh, show with Premier Networks. It's Buck Sexton with America Now. Go into iTunes, type in Buck Sexton with America Now, and press subscribe, please. Don't just download it once. Press subscribe. And we'll be rocking out together in the Freedom Hunt whenever you want. All right, team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. The offer of a franchise can... Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is... The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you as always. Hour two of our show here on Monday is underway. And uh, I want to talk to you a bit about immigration. I know a lot of people are like, oh, let's talk about the Oscars. Uh, I don't want to talk about the Oscars right now. I want to talk about a policy that 
matters. And I, I have to say, I was sitting at my desk over the weekend and compiling the receipts and paperwork and printouts and looking up guidance and so that I can file my taxes this year. And I am, I'm very resentful of that whole process. Uh, I think that it's, I think that it is, I know that it is unfair that the way that our tax system is set up, it benefits some at the expense of others. I do not agree with a progressive rate of taxation. I think that that is inherently unfair. I think it's punishing productivity. But more than that, all these loopholes and what, you know, I, I live in New York City. Owning property in New York City is near impossible, certainly in Manhattan, unless your family has the kind of money to buy you something as a young person. Uh, so I, I, but mortgage interest deduction, very popular. Okay, well, I don't, I know a lot of you are like, well, I like that buck. I'm sure you do, but I, I don't get that. And these are just political decisions. These are social engineering decisions made via the tax code. But without getting into the, the nitty gritty of taxing, of, of taxation, um, I just was thinking about this. I have to go through this process and it's onerous and it's unfair and I know that, and no serious person can argue with me that the tax code is fair and that it should be 70,000 pages and that this isn't reflective of special interests and all kinds of uh, jockeying for position via the tax code. And as you know, the power to tax is the power to destroy, and the Congress has that, and they use it oftentimes to destroy whether they intend to or not. But I'm pulling out receipts and trying to, and I'm not a math person and I'm trying to add stuff and do all of this because if I don't, well, what would really happen? Let's think about this for a second. If I didn't pay my, ta if I didn't, well, first of all, they already withhold almost all of my income. I mean, almost all of my taxable income is already subject to with withholding. So I don't have investments uh, that are taxed. I don't know. I wish I did. I wish I had brought, but the point here is if I didn't do this, uh, it would affect no person in this country at all. There would be zero impact on the Treasury, uh, zero impact, none whatsoever. And, and no reasonable, rational human being could argue otherwise, that if, if Buck Sexton did not pay his taxes, it would change anything in this country. But of course, if I don't pay my taxes, I will at a minimum have a letter in the mail saying you're going to pay X or else we're just going to take it from you. And I might have IRS agents want me to come down and sit and talk to them and interrogate me. And theoretically, I could go to jail for this. And I mean, theoretically, I should say possibly not theoretically, possibly I could go to jail for this, which means that people with guns would take physical possession of me and lock me into a cell. I haven't I wouldn't have hurt anybody. I wouldn't have done something that has any impact whatsoever on the future of this nation. And yet people with guns will show up and, and take away my freedom and, and ruin certainly my life in the near term and perhaps for good and brand me a criminal for something that hurts no one. And now I'm not advocating not paying your taxes. I'm just taking us through this experiment so that when we talk about immigration, and immigration enforcement, we can all see the similarities at work here. None of us think that we could get away without paying our taxes, and none of us think that we could do that without risking prison time, despite the fact that on a person-to-person -person basis, 
You know what would happen if, if I had more money? Uh, I would put money on a down payment maybe for a house. It'd be easier for me to start a family. You know, do, do people want to break up my future family by not letting me have the money I need to start a... You see where I'm going with that too. So, and they would, by the way, if I were married and had kids and didn't pay my taxes, men with guns would come and they would arrest me and take me away from my family. doesn't matter how much my wife, I don't have a wife, but cries. doesn't matter how much my kids are going to be disadvantaged by this and how much they cry and miss their daddy. They're going to lock me up for not paying my taxes. So when I read these crocodile tear inducing pieces across the media right now about illegal immigrants, I just want to say, sorry, but you're not the only one who has laws that if they break, they'd be better off. But you can't do that. If all of us cease to pay our income taxes, there would be huge disruptions into the functions of, I mean, I mean, to pay entirely. Now, I think we could, of course, have a 15% flat tax and everything would be fine. And maybe we'd have to spend a little less on entitlements and a little, you know, a little less on, I don't know, defense. We, we I have to look at the line items. But the point here being that I don't think that we could have zero and still have the government that we have. I'm not crazy. Unless, and then people say, what about a, a VAT tax, a value-added tax? Yeah, but that's a new thing. I'm saying if we all just stop paying our taxes, if millions and millions of Americans, let's say 20 million Americans stop paying their income taxes, 50 million Americans stop paying their income taxes, that would matter. That's, that's going to cause problems for the functioning of our government. And so they enforce laws against the individual that on a person-to-person, it's the same, we could talk about voting, by the way, not that that's a criminal issue, but just... Me voting is it doesn't make any sense, but you do these things because of you're part of a greater whole. Back to immigration. New York Times writes a piece over the weekend. The whole purpose of this is to make immigrations and customs enforcement sound as scary as humanly possible, that they are the jackbooted thugs, that they are have been unleashed on the otherwise uh, productive, peaceful, kindly family-oriented, hardworking, illegal, illegal immigrant community. I also have to say, I really have a problem with the way so many media outlets write about this issue and just write immigrant. That's not fair. That's not right. We're talking about, if I'm talking about illegal immigrants here, if they start going after immigrants, uh, I have a problem with that. Because if you've gone through the legal process and you have a document that says you get to be here and the country doesn't respect that, well, then they probably, you know, how long is it before they don't respect my rights and my, my U.S. citizenship and my passport? And so, no, no. If you're inside the system, if you're on the right side of the law, God bless, welcome, great to have you. But this huge effort to excuse and, in fact, to morally blackmail the country into thinking that illegal immigrants have done no wrong. There's no problem. And they're just, they're just good and decent people. Good and decent people could refuse to pay their taxes too. I'm a, I'm a very nice guy. I mean, some of you may, none of you really have spent a lot of time around me personally, but I'm a nice guy. I don't harm people. I don't uh, do bad things to people. I'm completely trustworthy. You could leave your life savings or, you know, your, your wife with me and like everything would be fine. I'm a trustworthy, good guy. If I stopped paying my taxes, I couldn't go before a judge and say, well, I'm a, I'm a, good, I'm a good person, an honest person. Uh, I don't do bad things to people. I just didn't pay my taxes, judge, so let me go. 
You see, they can do this with any number of issues, especially anyone who's a nonviolent criminal. And all of a sudden, should any nonviolent criminal get sent to prison? I actually think that's a, a more legitimate question than, you know, a lot of others do. I think that there are I think that f- people go to, to prison for things for which, uh, in many cases, forcible restitution, i.e. having to pay back anyone harmed and pay considerable fines to the state. And I think that would be I think taking away someone's freedom has become too quick and easy an answer for the state. But that's a a separate philosophical discussion, Uh, although it does get me thinking about it. But here's the way you're supposed to think of the immigration issue now. And it's stealth anarchy that The New York Times here and others are advocating for. It's open borders, but it's also it's also emotion over the law. Uh, they talk about how the new rules with the Trump administration on immigration enforcement have immigrants hiding in the shadows. And it's so terrifying now. And I, let me give you some quotes from this piece. Agents, this is Immigrations and Customs Enforcement agents. Uh, are in fact predominantly male and have often served in the military with the police department or both. Uh, ICE has more than 20,000 employees spread across 400 offices and 46 foreign countries. And the Trump administration has called for hiring 10,000 more. ICE officers see themselves as protecting the country and enforcing its laws, but also several agents said defending the legal immigration system with its years-long waits to enter the country from people who skip the line. You don't say, New York Times, you mean that people that are in immigrations and customs enforcement believe that they are there to enforce laws about immigrations and customs policies and laws? I mean, this is a this is a surprise. The New York Times writes this like these are bad people and they really go after this. And you've got to look at this piece. It's fascinating. Here's another quote. But arrests can appear dramatic as agents arrive in large numbers armed with semi-automatic handguns and wearing dark bulletproof vests with ice in bright white letters on them, end quote. So yeah, they are armed agents of the state. Do you know who would show up at my door if I refuse to pay my taxes? Armed agents of the state with, you know, bulletproof vests. Yeah, this is, this is what the law is. This is what law enforcement is. And I should note that law enforcement always breaks up families of one kind or another. Really? I mean, okay, some people have no real family they speak of. But generally speaking, you're breaking up a family. You've got, you know, FBI, local police, uh, go go down the line, any number of DEA, any number of enforcement agencies. They're arresting somebody who has a family that doesn't want to see that person go to prison. But you'll notice emotionalize, emotionalize. What is the difference? I don't see the New York Times writing teary-eyed articles about people who go to prison for defrauding a company that had plenty of cash to spare and is not really, you know, it doesn't really make a difference to the company. Maybe the money could even be returned. But no, that person's life is still ruined. They go to prison. I'm not saying they shouldn't be punished. I'm just saying anytime the law is enforced, a a criminal law is enforced, a family is in danger of being broken up. Anytime the law is enforced, someone is hurt. If you're going to live in a society with order, it's going to be a society where decisions to break the law are punished. Yeah, this is going to be bad for people that break the law. That's the whole point. 
And I sit here reading this article. It's just I, I'm telling you simultaneously to when I'm pulling out my receipts and I hope I'm doing this right and hope I don't get audited. I've gotten letters in the mail from the IRS. You owe us this. You owe us that. That's not fun. That's not. And I know that if I don't respond, they're going to take more of my stuff. And if I still don't respond, eventually people are going to show up and they're going to lock me up. And I don't hurt anybody. I'm a good person. I don't, I'm not robbing banks or, you know, clubbing old ladies and stealing their purses or, you know, no. Totally trustworthy, good citizen trying to do his part for America every single day. But and my contribution to the Treasury is meaningless. But if I don't do it, they will put me in prison. I'm sorry if you're here illegally and therefore benefiting from, yes, the taxes that you and I are paying. That is a problem. It is a violation of law. People have to be punished for this. And we have lost this. And no, that doesn't mean that you, you know, if you're here illegally, you should be cruelly and inhumanely sent away for a decade into some state penitent. No. What is the procedure that most fits the crime of illegal entry and staying in this country? It is leave. That's a, that is a fair response to the crime of illegal status, taking away that status. I do not think that people should be in prison for long stretches for being here illegally. That would not be fair. That would not be just. But I also don't think that people should be able to stay in this country. I recently had the experience as well. I'll tell you about this. I went to an emergency. I've been having a little bit of trouble with my with my eyes. A whole separate story. I'll be all right. But I went to an emergency uh, eye center. You know, emergency. It's, it was not really. It's a emergency care center for eyes, but it has a hospital status, I believe. And I was, you know, speaking to the people there, and there are a lot of people that are in that that are in that place that are there to get routine care, but they are not legal, and so they use the emergency room for their first line of care. Well, I was I was there to get a, a problem dealt with. Some people are there because they want prescription eyeglasses, and the the bill goes you know unpaid. The taxpayer picks up the tab. That's at least my understanding of it. So, you know, there are real costs to illegal immigration. This is not some theoretical situation. This is not theoretical. People are getting stuff that they are not entitled to. And I'm here, you know, piling up my receipts. And and even as someone who's trying to be accurate in his paying of taxes, I know that maybe I miss something or maybe I take something, a deduction that is not really supposed to, but I thought I was or you know, and and then I get harassed by the government, and they feel totally justified in that. You know, I'm part of the the white male cisgender patriarchy, so no, you know, there's no sympathy for me. I know I have it so easy. I mean, there are a lot of I can tell you there have been plenty of times in my recent life where there are illegals who have bigger bank accounts than I do. But you know, no sympathy for Buck. Uh, if he doesn't do everything right on his taxes, we're gonna we're gonna cause real problems for him. and. You know, I'm just sorry. I read this teary-eyed New York Times piece. It's just, oh, it's so it's so terrible. These ICE agents who are predominantly male and served in the military. Oh, good heavens. The Here's another piece in here. The element of surprise is central to their work, and the sight of even a single white van emblazoned with the words Department of Homeland Security can create fear and cause people to flee. To minimize public contact, the arrests are frequently made in the early morning hours. They, they, they write about this like this is specific. This is specific to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I can tell you this is true of law enforcement in general. 
Okay, if they're going to come after you, if they want to arrest you, and they have their ability, and they have the ability to choose, it's not an, you're not an imminent threat to public safety. Uh, they're going to come for you in the morning, really early, because that's when you're most likely to be in bed, most in routine, least likely to put up a fight, least amount of people around. This is standard law enforcement practice. But they're writing about it here, like, oh, good heavens, what are we going to do? It's so terrifying. Oh, they go more. They go into more detail in this piece. When they quote, when they do have to enter a home, officers knock loudly and announce themselves as the police, a term they can legally use. Many times children are awakened in the process and watch as a parent is taken away. True of legal immigration. You know what else it's true of? People who write bad checks, people who engage in insurance fraud, doctors who falsely bill Medicare. They get taken out in the morning, too. They get arrested in front of their families. They haven't hurt anybody. I mean, they've hurt the system or they've scanned the system, but I'm, you know, there's no person who's showing up in court saying, you know, get that person. They've they've wronged me. What the New York Times is doing here is insidious. It is deeply destructive to this discussion we are having because they only do this with illegal immigration. They don't do this with other crimes. You know, they're not writing about, oh, they're certainly not writing about what it means for somebody on campus who's brought up on on charges in one of these uh, preposterous no rights for the accused rape tribunals. You know, they don't write teary eyed pieces about those guys who have their who have their families destroyed, their life's their life ruined, no employment prospects. They don't write. You know, there's no teary eyed stories about them. But, oh, the the illegal immigrant community, the New York Times goes right to the mat on this one. All right. I've gotten really fired up about this. so I'm going a bit long team. We'll be back in just a minute stay with me you're listening to the buck sexton show on the blaze radio network work buck sexton all right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. I, I got so fired up in that last discussion. As you can tell, I hate paying taxes, and uh, that factors into my irritation on this whole subject. And the fact that I could go to prison. And a lot of countries, you don't go to prison. They just The government will come, come after you to take more of your money. Here you go to prison. Here we, we destroy people's lives and take away their freedom for tax issues, okay, regularly. Anyway, uh, I want to talk more about the immigration uh, debate on the flip side of this break. Uh, 888-900-3393 if you want to call in. Also, please download The Night Show, which is on Premier Radio Networks, Buck Sexton with America Now. It is on iTunes. It's on Stitcher now as well and Google Play and the iHeart app. So we're going to hit a quick break and we'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. I, I wanted to continue on. I know I talk about immigration a lot, but I, I think that um, we've come to a recognition, at least conservatives, a lot of them have come to recognition in this country, that the cultural impact on a nation from mass immigration is not something that can be ignored. 
it's something that should be discussed openly, and the citizens of that country should be willing to have a discussion about what this means for the future of that country. And this is, there's so much here that you have to unpack because we are told lies about this all the time. And finally, there seems to be this moment where as a nation, there's a little bit more room for this discussion. And I just have to say that, you know, let's just step back for a second. I remember reading the book, uh, The Revenge of Geography by Kaplan, who, and this is not a, this is not some right winger. This is not some xenophobe. It's a guy who's spent his whole life going around the world, traveling, writing, understanding geopolitics. I mean, he's really an internationalist. I mean, or, or, or a true internationalist in the sense that he's a man who has an understanding of the world and the relationships between different countries. And Revenge of Geography is a very good book. I really, really recommend it to all of you who have an interest in geopolitics and national security strategy. But he talks about how in this book, it's amazing in America, the discussion over immigration is we, we often pretend like this is very similar to uh, a way, temporary waves of people coming into the country from predominantly Europe, but from other places as well, but predominantly from Europe. Those are the main waves of immigration. And there were stops and starts to this. And there were times when the country said, okay, we've got enough for a while, thank you. That's, that's the true history of immigration. But that we are led to believe that uh, immigrants showing up at Ellis Island from Italy, uh, showing up and being processed, many of whom were turned back, a third of whom returned to their home countries of their own volition because there was no safety net, there was no welfare state. You came here and either you made it or maybe you went back to the homeland because it was too hard and just wasn't working out. Now you get here, which way is the benefits office? You get here, how do I get my cut? It's not how do I chase the American dream all the time. In a lot of cases, as we see, based on the numbers, it is how do I get my piece of what other people are paying for, what's being taken from them. We're $20 trillion in debt as a country, but everybody still wants their cut. And they think that it is owed to them, of course, because this ideology of America, the imperialist America that has uh, disadvantaged the rest of the world to advantage itself. And what Kaplan gets into, and he doesn't get into it too deeply because he knows it's on dangerous ground, is most of the illegal immigration problem in this country comes from one, one nation. That nation is Mexico. It is contiguous with us as a landmass. It is also a country that we have fought a war with. It is a country that there are many people who still believe it should rightfully have back much of the land that we took from that country by force. And this is a distinct and different problem set and situation from people having to get on a boat for a long, arduous journey to come here. They may or may not be even allowed in once they get here. And once they come here, they better make it work or else they have to go back. And going back is you know, not easy, but obviously these are all calculations that had to be made. So, you know, Ellis Island, 1899, is very different from... I just hopped on the I just hopped on the back of a truck and came across the border and now I'm here and now I'm going to find ways to yeah maybe you work off the books I mean I'm not you know the, part of the problem here is that every case is every case is different you know every human being of course is deserving of sympathy and opportunity and but you make policy based on the aggregate 
You make policy based on what you can see from the numbers. Just as I said to you before, Buck doesn't want Buck doesn't want to pay taxes. And it will not affect the country if Buck does not pay taxes, but yet the country will lock Buck up and no one's going to feel that bad about it and Buck's going to be separated from his family if he doesn't pay his onerous and unfair taxes. So illegals come here. They skip the line. There are lots of people going through all kinds of hurdles and problems and paying money that they don't really have. Why? Because they just want to be here. But they're doing it the right way. Illegals said, nope, sorry, we're going to do it the wrong way. So everybody who's in line, everyone who, even those who have made it in this country legally and gotten a green card or have their visa, they're chumps, I suppose, because they had to do all this stuff. They could have just come here and stayed. Now, you know, this is this is the harsh reality of what an immigration policy truly means. But it's very easy for me to see the problems with this, the personal issues that I have with this when I'm sitting here writing out checks to the government for, with money that I really could use, you know, especially these days, uh, writing out checks to the government, going through all this hassle and paperwork and, and the stress and knowing that every time I go to my mailbox, you know, I might get some letter from the IRS. You know, you owe us 10 grand. Oh, I don't have that. I got to get on a payment plan now. What am I going to do? But I do it because it's the law. And to the degree that I can, I respect and obey the law. But I don't say, well, I'm a nice person and I don't want to obey this law. So I'm just going to hope that for sympathy will get me out of this. People will say, well, he's a really nice guy. He's, he's a good person. He's helped a lot of people in his life. And, you know, so he shouldn't have to pay his taxes. This is what the New York Times is. This is really the case they're making about illegal immigrants. You see, I don't think that illegal immigrants are are bad people at all. I'm sure there are literally millions of them that I would think are great people that I would get along with, that I would like, that I would care for, that I would uh, form bonds and relationships with. I mean, they're just people. I I get that. But if you're going to take the whole, you break the law and that's okay because you're a nice person attitude, that has to be applied to taxes too or else we've got a problem. And I'm choosing taxes here just because I think we all realize the same argument really applies. Separating family, and if you break that law, it doesn't really matter as an individual. But anyway, you understand that you understand the connection I'm making here. They separate your family, taken by men with guns, all of it. But they just New York Times just writing these teary-eyed stories about illegal immigrants in this country. You know, you know what happens to illegal immigrants if they do run afoul of immigration authorities? Do you know what terrible, uh, what 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 unthinkable atrocity will will occur? They are returned to their country of birth where they have, or country of citizenship, where they have the opportunity to get right with the law and come back into this country the right way. Now, maybe you'll say, Buck, but they were here illegally. They're banned from 10 years. Okay, maybe once we enforce the laws and once that's become the climate, maybe then we say, you know what? We're going to adjust the process to make it clearer and easier and more transparent. and, and, And we'll even give people who don't fight their deportation, we'll say, okay, if you don't fight your deportation, you go back, we'll allow you to come, try to come back through the legal immigration, which might take five or six years, but we'll allow you to come back through the legal immigration process. We won't penalize you if you don't fight your deportation. If you want to fight it in court, you know, this is like what happens with people in courts across the country all the time with plea bargains. See, this is an immensely complicated issue, but the left likes to reduce this to they're just human beings 
they should be able to stay. They're going to vote Democrat. They're going to be outvoting people that are um, in favor of stronger immigration, stronger immigration protections or law enforcement in the future. They being those who are the descendants of illegal immigrants or they view this as a power play. That's all. The lawlessness that it creates is not really the concern of the editorial board of the New York Times. Although, as I've said, you just go back a little over a decade and the New York Times was all was very concerned with illegal immigration because the Democratic Party was concerned with illegal immigration. But now the scales have tipped and we're all supposed to just accept this. If we no longer have a welfare state and I no longer have to pay taxes on income, only on on things that I buy, which everyone would then have to pay, including legal, illegal you know, then, you know, do I do I think that open borders is a good idea? No, but at least I wouldn't feel like I'm being taken advantage of. And right now, if you're an American citizen or even a non-citizen, but if you're here legally and you are paying taxes, you are being taken advantage of by those who are here illegally. They are accessing benefits. Those who say they are not are lying or don't know what they're talking about. The moment they have children here, there is an unbreakable anchor for them under most policies. That's why we call it an anchor baby in this country. Most administrations won't do anything about that and they get to stay and then they get the, the to access benefits too by being in the household. So, you know, I'm sorry, but enough is enough. And proximity to this country is not supposed to be the prime factor in determining how many immigrants are allowed in. But we have immigrants who want to come in from all over the world. We should be picking immigrants who come and make this place more fiscally solvent, not less. We've got big problems. And, you know, the Trump administration, I worry, this is a departure from the immigration talk, but I worry that what's going to happen is they're going to do some very good things, but then, and they're going to make some, some great progress on a number of issues, but then the structural problems with our government and our spending that the Trump administration has inherited, the $20 trillion in debt, the mandatory spending on Medicare and, and Social Security and every, everything else that's just already on autopilot for us, that that is going to somehow, that many-headed hydra will become a, a, it will force a crisis. And Trump, of course, will be in his administration, even if they do cut corporate taxes, they'll be blamed for it. So we've got this, this is still a very real problem. And you know, illegal immigration does not help us. And those who say, oh, it adds to GDP, are either liars or they just have some agenda they're pushing or they just don't know what they're talking about because just use common sense. Look at the size of the welfare state in this country. You're going to tell me that people who arrive in this country who have access to that welfare state and who don't have any the skills to compete in what is increasingly an information dominated economy don't even speak the language that they're going to be they're going to be contributing more than they take in benefits. That's just it's just counterintuitive. It just makes no sense. But there are a lot of lies told about this. I didn't even get into one, one other point here. I want to, sorry, I know I'm spending this whole on immigration, but I, re- I really try to think about this critically and honestly and in depth and not just, oh, we're a nation of immigrants and we'll do the jobs Americans won't do. And no, sorry, that's all just propaganda. I want to know what's really going on. I want to look at the numbers. Um, I want to look at the cultural and political cost of unrestrained immigration. Now you've got people that are more or less advocating for open borders. Well, what is that? What is America then? If you can just come and go as you please, stay and go, what doesn't matter? You know, who, who what, what is America then? What am I? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight and die for a country where someone from, you know, name, name your country. You know, someone from Tajikistan 
can just show up and say, I want to be a citizen here too. And then a year later, now nah, I'm done. I'm going to go back to my home country. I don't want to be a citizen anymore. I mean, that's, that's what open borders really is, right? Well, I'm going to fight and die for this country? Really? Anyway, but uh, another question that is uh, up on the up in this New York Times piece I just wanted to address quickly, and that is Obama, was Obama the deporter-in-chief or was he leaving non-serious criminals alone who were illegal aliens? I see both reported all the time. Oh, he deported so many people. Oh, actually, he left people alone. I think what happened was that he was deporting people for a little while, and then they changed the definition of deportation to make it seem like they're deporting more people, and then they just stopped once they realized they couldn't get amnesty through. But that's not how it's reported. But you'll notice there is this incongruence. There is this friction between the two sides of this. Well, well, is he is he deporting everybody or not? It can't, it can't be he deports too many people and then also he was leaving people alone and was very kind on this issue to immigrants. Can't be both. All right, I've, uh, I've gotten very deep into this immigration rabbit hole. I'm going to pull myself out of it now and uh, we're going to close out strong right after the break. Stay with me. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Hey team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. You know, I like to tell you some things that I wasn't able to before about some of my CNN experiences. Here's this guy, Smirkanish, who has a show on Saturdays. Here's what he's saying about uh, the conservative right and the movement and everything. Here's what he says. There is another conservative leader who watches CNN, Rush Limbaugh, who earlier this week took umbrage at something that I said on New Day. Here's the comment that got his goat. Donald Trump is the embodiment of a 30-year trend in the making, an embodiment of empowering Rush Limbaugh, the Drudge Report, Fox News, Breitbart, Newsmax. They exert control over primary voters in a way that the the traditional conservative leadership used to do. So this guy's whole thesis is that, you know, Trump is the fault of of the new media and, and talk radio. I'll just tell you something about this guy. Um, I w- I've been on a show one time, and I was a CNN contributor, and I spoke to the show beforehand because I knew he wanted to talk about this topic. And I said, look, we can talk about this, but I work for Glenn Beck at The Blaze, and he's my boss, and do not, you know, out of respect, please don't ask me to comment on something my boss said. Do you know what he did right away on the show? First question I get is, you know, something, Glenn Beck said something that, you know, something that is indefensible, whatever it was. I mean, he he attacked me with some Glenn quote that I didn't know the context of and whatever. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. The guy agreed not to do this. And you know what else? They tried to get me in the show recently. You know what I told them? No guests. Just me and you, Smirkanish. Not some other person that you can use to, you know, to box me out and not give me enough time to respond. You want to have me on your show? Now you can have me on my show. Nationally syndicated radio host Buck Sexton will come on your show and we can discuss this topic anytime. And you can't ambush me with something about my boss, who's a thousand times the radio host, the media personality and the human being that as far as I can tell, this guy is. So I put that out there. I'll go on a show again. Me and him. Do you think that he took me up on that? No. They need a little guest there to hold his hand and help him two on one. So Buck's there. Anyway, the Buck slaps will be coming for this one and for others. All right, team, uh, 
Please join me tonight on the night show, 6 to 9 Eastern, Buck Sexton with America Now. Until then, Shield Talk. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.